Hey Jexiteers, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I'm joined by Stephen Schuster. Stephen was born into the Jehovah's Witness religion, but was recently disfellowshipped after marrying an unbeliever. Stephen had already started waking up though after witnessing a lot of corruption within the elder arrangement. Hi Steve, how are you doing today? I'm good, sir. So um, we got into contact recently. Uh, I think you sent me a message on um, Facebook, Facebook Messenger, saying that it would be great for us to get together and uh, have a chat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got a lot of stories to tell. Good. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing them. It's been a really long time coming. Over, over 30 years involved with the Jehovah's Witnesses, over 30 years uh, being one off and on, I've seen a lot, you know, and just uh, I think it's time for them to be exposed. I think that people need to know the truth about them so that they can uh, come to their own conclusions. Okay, so please tell us how you um, first became a Jehovah's Witness. Well, I was I was born in fourth generation. There was. There wasn't any, you know, there was no choice in the matter. That's just what I was going to be, you know, whether uh, whether it's what I wanted or not. And uh, trouble started. I got baptized around 12 and trouble started around 13. Just uh, normal kid stuff, you know, just sneaking out, maybe having a drink, maybe having a cigarette, maybe smoking a little pot. Nothing that, you know, teenage kids don't get into. Right, right. And um, so you you were born in, and were you ever baptized? Yeah, I got baptized at 12. You got baptized at 12. Wow, that's that's pretty young. And, and what motivated your decision to get baptized at, at 12? It's just, it was what everyone was doing, you know, around my age group, and it just felt like it was time. Mm -hmm. But I think that and and a few of my relatives that weren't witnesses, they tried to warn me about the consequences of my decision. But, you know, I didn't, I really wasn't trying to hear that at the time, you know. But if, if I would have been made aware of all the rules and how can it, how it, it can affect everything that you do and how you live, I definitely would have made a different decision. <laughs> sure, sure. And uh, was there any pressure from your parents to get baptized at, at that age? Oh no, I didn't. I didn't feel any pressure. Like I said, it was just more like what everyone was doing mm -hmm. at the time. And you get as a child, you know, you get commended for it, you get recognition for it, you get a pat on the back. So of course, to a certain extent, you know, it's going to motivate you to want to do more. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I mean, it was a similar thing for me as well. I, mean, I didn't feel any pressure from my parents to get baptized um but it just felt like the local next step you know for me right that's the life that that's the life that was laid out in front of you so you try to walk you got you try to walk the path as closely as you can you know but it's not necessarily your own but you hadn't quite made the decision yet either as a as a person but I mean, yeah it was it was just an interesting it's interesting to look back now and think about, well, well, I couldn't decide what type of school clothes I wanted to wear. 
I couldn't decide if I wanted my hair a certain style, but I could decide if I wanted to give my life away. It's just uh, the the scales don't balance. <laughs> the scales don't balance on that. You know, the math is bad. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. You know, I mean, at 12 years old, what can you do? I mean, legally, there's certain things you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to enter contracts, but basically, that's exactly what baptism is. You're entering a lifetime contract. But right after I got baptized, I started getting in trouble for different things, you know, with them. Things that might not have been a big deal for someone who wasn't raised a witness, but a big deal for someone who is raised a witness, you know. <laughs> doesn't make any sense some of it and uh and i remember i got reproved privately when i was 13 and then i got i got disfellowshipped when i was uh i think i was 16 turning 17 it was right in the middle of there but what was interesting about that was uh so my dad had just been appointed the presiding overseer at the time but there was another there was another elder who coveted that position so he used me getting in trouble to get my dad you know kicked out basically of being an elder and he took his position yeah and uh and when i appealed the judicial decision they put me in front of three other three other men and one of them one of them was a fair man but the other two you could just tell it was already decided you know and you th at the time you're growing up this is this is the late 90s the early 2000s you know information it, it's not like how it was now <laughs> you know you can feel that it's wrong in your heart you can know that they're treating you wrong just from a human standpoint but you have no reference for that. You have no nothing, you know, now you can just type a sentence into the search bar and boom, information on that pops up. But back then it was just <laughs> the stone age, really. Yeah, that that what you said is really shocking to hear about that elder who, you know, used your judicial case as sort of like a springboard. <laughs> To, to 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 become the uh, coordinator of your congregation right that's 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 really corrupt and actually that's that's one of the things that started me on my road to waking up was seeing how much corruption and injustice there was in the elder arrangement yeah and it's and just from a human standpoint it's corruption we're not even talking about things that are actually like morally wrong these are just these are just men sitting around having a pissing contest <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. mundane duties you know <laughs> but uh but yeah so I, I worked my way back i got reinstated um but things were never the same things were never the same after that i moved away to another I stayed in state, but I moved to another part of the state. And um, I just kind of wild out. You know, I had fun for a little while and I made my way back to my hometown. But I still I still, you know, like to party and have a good time. And, you know, and I, I ended up getting publicly approved again. And um, 
let's see. It's a, there's a lot. So I moved away again. And this time I actually decided, you know, to try to be serious about it. And I had my publisher cards uh, transferred. And, you know, they send uh, the letter, the letter as well. The the letter of invitation or welcoming letter or whatever it's called. And um, so I ended up befriending some of the youth in there that were around my age, a little younger, a little younger. And there was an elder there who partook of the emblems and told everybody he was annoying it and things of that nature. And he had done it for many years. And I really didn't think nothing of it. I just kind of, you know, the type of guy I was, I just avoided everybody. I'd go to the meeting, say hi to the people I wanted to say hi to, and then make my way home, you know. But this kid, he ended up telling me he was like, the, that, that elder uh, propositioned him with money. Yeah, he ended up being a pedophile. And when I confronted all the other elders on that body, they just kind of took my statement and left it at that. And then what happened was uh, uh, actually another child ended up getting uh, sexually assaulted. And that's how he was exposed. Yeah. So they didn't really take my word for it. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. He actually yeah. offered your friend money for sex. Yeah. Right. Oh. That's, and he was, oh. he, was older, he was older, you know, he was like 16. And he said no. But like I said, it ended up happening to another child in that kingdom hall that was much younger. And that's how everybody found out. And he was actually disfellowshipped for two years. And what what struck me, you know how you go through life and different red flags appear, you know, and and so this was one of them. I remember a few people being so like just, oh, thank Jehovah that he's been disfellowshipped and all that. And I was just I was just mad. I was upset because I couldn't see the justice in it. No, this this man needs to go to prison for as long as possible and he needs to be a registered sex offender so this can't happen to anybody else you know the the you need to put this into the hands of the law you know disfellowshipping somebody is not is not what i would consider justice no not not at all and to the best of your knowledge were criminal charges ever brought against him for what he did no no he's still walking around Wow. Is is he back in the congregation? Yes. And they, he they, is. Yeah. Yes. This last uh this last judicial meeting I had was with a it was a it was a combination of two different kingdom halls that comprised my committee. And one of them was from that one of them was from that kingdom hall. And I told him, I said, um, why is it that you're meeting with me here now? Because I would rather marry somebody not of my same religion but you have a whole pedophile in your congregation you should be more concerned about that than what i'm doing good grief that's that's so, really oh it's disturbing it's very disturbing i had to write multiple letters to um the headquarters 
I had to write multiple letters. Yeah, because I, I just wouldn't stand for it, you know. They were trying to use my past as being like a party guy and, you know, type of guy that was kind of on the edge, you know, of being religious and not being religious and enjoying to have a good time. You know, there, there's having a good time and there's crossing the line. You know, he was crossing the line. And it's it's like I I confronted him in the judicial meeting. I told him, I said, you can you can do whatever you want. You can, you know, this is this world. We have freedom, but you can't run around telling everybody that you're an anointed elder and be a child molester. It's just (laughs) it doesn't work like that. And, you know, everybody got mad at me because I had emotion and I was angry, you know, and I used curse words. They, but it just seemed like it was unacceptable. And at the end of the meeting, they uh, they wanted to pray, and I told them that I wasn't going to pray with them. So I didn't. I'm not surprised at all. I wouldn't want to pray with them either. No. So, so I removed myself, and um, and I left. And I thought it would be a good idea to get away from there, you know. So I got away from there and I went to New York State and I stayed up there for two months. And while I was up there, I attended the Kingdom Mall. And there was a there was a group of, you know, group of people my age. And we all like to party, you know, we all like to drink and, and smoke and just have a good time, you know. And but some of them were like uh, worshiping the devil. They would go to the meetings half of the time and they would like worship the devil the other half of the time. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And, <laughs> and and so that threw me off completely because I'm like, here I am. I get in trouble for maybe smoking pot or having a bottle of whiskey in my room. And these dudes, you know what I mean? They're going way off left and nothing's happening to them. So it was, it just, you know, after that, it just kind of, I just went off and did my own thing for a while. And then did you I, eventually uh, go back? Yeah, I did. I did. I, I ended up having a child in 2012 or finding out I was having a child in 2012. And by the time she got here in 2013, uh, I had started studying again and I started going to meetings like intermittently, you know, hit or miss. But I was studying with an older gentleman that would come over and and he was kind to me. You know, don't get me wrong. Ninety nine percent of Jehovah's Witnesses, they're good people. They're kind people. You know, that's what makes this such a travesty is that one percent that just they ain't shit you know, and they're soulless and they're using, they're using it as a shell, you know, but, but most of the time, like I find that a lot of the older people, you know, they're, they're good people. They're just hanging on to some faith, just like all older people hang on to faith, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned that the last judiciary you had it for marrying someone who wasn't a witness, correct? Yeah. 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 Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, what happened was back to it it all coincides with my daughter. So I had my daughter and her mother, 
you know, took her away from me for a while and I didn't ended up having to fight for custody of her. Well, you know, when you're a, when you're a desperate man, sometimes you make deals, you know, some people make deals with God. Some people make deals with the devil. I made deal with a God, with God, you know, I said, if you give me my daughter, I'll try, I'll try one more time. Well, I'm not going to say that God worked the circumstances out in my way because I ended up getting custody of my daughter and about a year and a half later, her mother passed away uh, suddenly from a brain aneurysm. So <laughs> take with that what you will, you know, I don't think that God would give me my daughter like that. I think I think just circumstances worked themselves out and my persistence prevailed, you know. <laughs> so then after that, yeah, I wanted to be a man of my word. Because you just don't, you just don't pray in bereavement like that, and not at least try to be a man of your word, right? So I went back, I started going to meetings again. I started studying. I started trying to wrap my head around, like, okay, this is my life. This is what my life could look like. This is what my life could be. I started going out in service. I shaved. I got all my privileges back. I started commenting. I started dating someone. Um, and just the whole thing. I remember sitting. I remember the, now this whole time, this whole time, every now and then, um, I'm, uh, every now and then I'll have a blunt with my beer. You know what I mean? It's every now and then, right? So I'm living this life. I'm kind of living what they would say is a double life, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm like, if I, if I go through with all this, if I keep living this life, like at some point I'm going to have to be 100, you know, and I'm going to end up getting in trouble again, like for what, the 15th time, you know? And so I was sitting there and I was like, this is bullshit. I don't want to live like this. I don't want my life to be like this. I don't want my child to be subjugated to the same childhood that I had. It's restrictive. Like, no. So, I kind of just, uh, you know, started flaking off a little bit. And then right around that time, the pandemic hit. It hit the United States. It was uh, March, early March of 2020. So everything goes virtual. Um, I, I came to I came to provide care for my grandmother, so I moved in with her so she wouldn't have to go to a nursing home. So me and her and my daughter, you know, twice a week we're watching on Zoom. We're watching the meetings. You know, I'm just sitting here. I'm not happy. Not happy. I'm not content. This is not what I want to do. This is what everyone says I should be doing, but my soul is not at peace, you know? So I move around. I move around on everybody. And I'm like, this is, I'm not going to do this anymore. So then I ended up getting in contact with someone who I've known for the better part of a decade. You know, we've been, we, we watch each other grow up, you know? And the more and more we spent time with each other, the more and more I was like, man, I, 
this is who I want to be with. This is who I can be myself with. You know? Like, I, everyone else be damned. Like, this is what I want. So, we start dating. And I knew right away, you know, I wanted to marry her. I wanted us to be a family. And I knew right away that there would be consequences. And there were. So, I started living an authentic life and that came with posting things on social media. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a call from the elders and they want to meet with me and I've never been one to run from it. So I go and meet with them. And I mean, it, one of them, one of them was staring at me like he wanted to fight. The other, the other one was, uh, the one that has the pedophile in his kingdom all. And the third one, I can't say nothing bad about him because he's he's a good guy. You know what I mean? He just kind of was outnumbered. You know what I mean? And when you got somebody who's a wild card like me, you're going to go with what you perceive as the sure thing. So, basically, what they would never really just come right out and tilt me. They were just like, uh, the Bible says to only marry in the Lord. And I was like, well, I've tried dating Jehovah's women, Jehovah's women witnesses, like all throughout my life. And it's just not what I want. Like, I don't want that type of lifestyle. I don't, you know what I mean? I just, I don't want to, I don't want somebody looking at me with the expectation that I got to be a ministerial servant or an elder or that I got to go out and field service X amount. Of, I, I don't, you know. I try my best as a man, and I think we all should, but to be held to these lofty standards, I mean, it's just going to stress you out. It's going to make your life harder. Yeah, I, I absolutely get where you're coming from. I mean, I, I had similar pressures well when I was married, you know, and the expectations of, you know, reaching out and everything. And, of course, you know, the stress and the pressure that comes with that you know, the expectation of having to aspire to this role on top of everything else that you're doing as a husband and as a father is just it's crushing. It's overwhelming. And it's, that's why here in the South, that's why you see so many of the men with health problems. That That's my, that's what I believe, because they just don't have time to take care of You got to pick one. And it shouldn't be that way in life. Life is about finding balance. Absolutely. And, and life is for living as well. So after after they disfellowshipped me, I was honestly relieved. It's what I wanted. I knew it was coming. There's no way out of it. I've been disfellowshipped before. I've been publicly reproved, privately reproved. Like, just name it. Uh, and I just, I was just done. And I wanted to go out like a man, you know. So I told him, I said, you guys, you guys all stole my childhood. You're a part of stealing everyone's childhood. This is a cult. And if it's not a cult, it's a high control group. Um, so <laughs> I'll see y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> so so how, um, you mentioned that, you know, you said to them that it was a cult or a high control group. Um, so that to me sounds like you'd already started waking up or researching the religion. Tell, tell me about how that came to be. Well, 
this that starts a long, long time ago, back in around 2007, because I had a roommate and he went through similar issues as me. And we ended up finding a copy of the elders book on the internet and we read it. And that's kind of where the thread all started unraveling, to be honest. Yeah. Back then. <laughs> yeah. So 2007, you found online a copy of the elders manual when you read it. Um, is there anything else that you researched after that? No, there, there really wasn't anything, you know, because at that point, I think I knew, I think I knew because of the restrictive nature of how it was it I knew, but it's also all I knew. So what, what real choice are many people given when that's your whole social structure, that's your whole family dynamic? I mean, what are you going to really do? You're going to say, this is bullshit. You're going to do whatever you want. You're going to get in trouble for it. And you're just going to keep, keep it moving. That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So um, when we were speaking uh, before, before our interview, you mentioned that you'd watched a lot of my videos on YouTube and, I, and some other XJWs as well. How did you stumble across the whole XJW community on YouTube? It was really, it was something that I had seen. I had seen the videos and quite frankly, just ignored it, you know, because in my mind, I, at first I'm thinking, these are angry, these are angry people, you know, of course, of course, they're going to have negative things to say. Uh, I have negative things to say. And I think that's what swayed me is because I was like, you know, they're pissed. I'm pissed. But, but a lot of you guys are far more like articulate and docile than me i'm you know but i've also seen some of the angry xjw's too and when they're on there cussing mad and all that like i i feel bad for them but i also think like man it's not a good look so i've come to the conclusion that like you're not really going to be able to affect change through anger or force you know you're going to be able to affect change through living on an authentic life you know yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're currently disfellowship now. So how has that affected your family dynamics with, you know, your witness relatives? Well, I run a business with my dad. So, you know, we still speak, but it's really just on like business terms. Now, if he needs me, if he needs my help for anything, um, I'm more than happy to help. You know, I'm just one phone call away. I'll, I'll unload equipment, load equipment. It doesn't matter, you know, but my mother, she doesn't speak to me. And a lot of my extended family that are witnesses, they don't speak to me, but that's just how the cookie crumbles. Yeah, I understand. I mean, I'm in a similar situation. I don't, I don't have any contact with my family as well, witnesses. So yeah, I, I completely understand what that's like. Um, have you been able to form a new support structure um, outside of the witness community? Well, believe it or not, there's a lot of people who are witnesses still speak to me. They still, they still say hello to me. I still get phone calls. And they're not, they're not the type of phone calls you would think. They're not the overturn to Jehovah phone calls. 
they're not, hey, man, it's good to see you. Hey, man, look like you're doing good. My support system is my wife and my family. You know, they they were there. They keep me grounded. They keep me humble. And it's my happy place. It's where I like to be now. It's where I feel safe, you know. But you'd really be surprised how many current and ex-JWs still keep in communication with me. I've had a few of them call me up and tell me, man, I'm so sorry that I judged you so harshly for smoking weed. Like, smoking weed is awesome. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there laughing like, man, you, you, you know, you, just, you know, what's that part in Step Brothers? Like, man, I wish we would have had this when we were kids. Like, even better, we got it when we were 40. <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh that's good that, that, that's really uplifting to hear that you know there are some compassionate witnesses who you know still reach out to you and i them because i'm not i'm not you can shun me if that's how you feel you know but i'm still the same person that i've always been always i'm still going to speak to you when i see you and if I can help you, I'm still going to help you. Nothing's changed as far as that goes, you know. And and I've had a lot of people, uh, a lot of ex-witnesses, um, come out to me and say, "Well, I, well, I'm, you know, I'm gay now, or I have a husband now, or it, you know, it, I have a wife now." And and I tell them, I say, "Look, I always knew, and I still love you. It's all good." And it was good then, and it was good now. And I've always been a very accepting person, you know, and I've always seen things. You know, when you grow up a witness, you see things. You, you see the person who's out of place. And if you're anything like me, you have compassion for them, and those were the people that you befriended. Not the ones with the elitist attitude. Not the ones with the I'm better than you attitude. No, it was... It was the ones that uh, were relatable, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So how what are things like in your life now? Would you say that you're much happier now not being a witness than you were as a witness? My soul finally found peace. I wake up happy. I get asked the question, they say, uh, Stephen, why are you a morning person? Why do you wake up so happy? I say, man, if you would understand that I woke up unhappy for 30 plus years. So now I wake up with a smile on my face. By far, I'm happier than I've ever been. I don't look over my shoulder. I'm not worried about who's seeing me do what or running back to tell somebody, you know. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And um, I, I feel the same way as well. I mean, my own experience, there's a certain peace of mind that comes from living your life authentically. You know, um, being two people, it's, it's not sustainable. And it has a really, really damaging effect on your, on your psyche. You know, living, living authentically, it, it, I, I can't express enough how important that is for, for your own internal peace. And I can, I can see that, you know, you found exactly the same thing. Yes. Yes. Actual peace in your soul. It radiates. <laughs> it comes off of your smile. It comes out of your eyes. It, it puts a light in your eyes, you know, but 
it's this is this is the best decision I think I've made thus far in my life because I started to set goals and reach them. I mean, I'm sure it's all part of the maturing process and becoming an adult. But for some of us, when you grow up a witness, uh, that's stunted to a certain extent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you would not believe how many witnesses or ex-witnesses I speak to on, on a weekly basis who say exactly the same thing. They, they feel either currently or when they first left, they felt that they were completely stunted. Like it's like starting a race and everyone is, is like 20 yards ahead of you. You know, but I, but I will say this, the best part is, is I have a, I have a zest for life, you know, that not a lot of people my age have. So that there are benefits and I'm thankful. I, I gotta, I gotta look at the positives, man. I'm thankful that I've gotten out with a little bit of my youth left. You know, I can spend my best years now with my family, my wife, my family. They get my best years, you know. Uh, I may have wasted my youth. It may have been taken from me to a certain extent, but I'm still determined to live a full life. Yeah, that, that's, that's great. That's, that's really, really uplifting to hear that. And I've heard a lot of witnesses, and not just witnesses, but... Christians in general who, who feel that there's no purpose to life unless you're using your life to serve within a religion. And um, I completely disagree with that. I mean, when you realize that, I mean, we were, we were basically fed a pack of lies, you know, the, the Armageddon and the new system and the resurrection and, and all of that. But realizing that none of that is true it really makes you value what you have now and it, it when you look at it that way it can actually that itself that in itself can bring purpose to your life because you think to yourself right i'm not going to live forever <laughs> you know what, what how can i make the best use of my time that i have and that can actually drive you to live a purposeful life and i've certainly found that in my experience did did it come it came after you left? Yeah, yeah, it came after I left because I, I was I was mentally in right up until uh, last year, up until June, June last year. I mean, I was out, of, I was physically out, but mentally in for over a year. And it was dreadful. And I, would, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, you know, being out of the organization by living in fear of Armageddon coming. You know, and then when the pandemic hit, thinking that this is the great tribulation and, and all of that. So, yeah, for me, it, it came after. I woke up after I left, not, not before. But, I mean, I never, I never sat back and thought, like, oh, Stephen, if you do this, you're, you're going to die at Armageddon. Like, I feel like in my heart I'm a good person. I know in my soul that I've done good things on this earth and positively affected people. So there's no part of me that has ever thought that I would end up dying or I, I always thought that, you know, there's a creator and he has a place for all of us. He sets a place for all of us. And that, and in part, I've never stopped believing that that's what I still believe today. You know, there's a creator and he's got a place for all of us. Thanks for sharing that. 
So it has been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. Thank you so much for getting in touch with me. I hope we can speak again soon, man. I've enjoyed it too. Okay, right. well, enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks again for chatting with me. And thank you viewers for watching. If you haven't already done so, please click the like button and subscribe to the channel with notifications so that you're notified each time I upload a new video. Please proceed to deject it in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.